Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tribune Audio Network. Head in the clouds, exploring weather and why. And now, here's your host, the man who knows that behind every cloud is another cloud. Meteorologist Andrew Stutsky. All right. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us on the Head in the Clouds podcast. I have a special, awesome guest this week, and I can't believe it. Since I've started this thing, we haven't even had you on here. You know, somebody had to put the, push the throne in here, you know, so that I could sit at this <laughs> podcast table. This is a nice spot. Isn't it nice? It's yeah. cozy. We have light. We have a nice little backdrop. But like you said, what the heck, and, and why is this thing called a podcast? Nobody's listening to this on an iPod. Now, if you are listening to this on an iPod, we want to hear from you. Uh, <laughs> because we want to know how those things still work. Yeah, like I thought there was a certain cutoff where yeah. either the battery was going to be dead or they just wouldn't work with the Wi-Fi mm-hmm. signal anymore. And, and so, and I never understood that either why it's called a podcast. It's like, are we doing it in a pod? I don't know. Maybe, I guess you could uh, consider this a I pod. Don't I don't know. But it's nice to be in here. Thank you for yes. the invitation. Oh, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. And you're, you're such a wealth of knowledge. Um, of course, with everything climate change and, and all of that good stuff. And you got a really cool opportunity recently to attend yeah. a seminar. Yeah, it was the National Weather Association um, National Meeting. It was um, just a little over a week ago in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, and, and it's not just broadcasters. They're meteorologists from um, different businesses because, you know, we, we forget about the fact that there's insurance uh, industry that employs a lot of meteorologists. Um, the aviation industry employs a lot, National Weather Service, and then it's broadcast. So we're just kind of a piece of the pie. But um, I was uh, honored to not only be able to attend this in Huntsville, Alabama, um, but to be able to uh, to present as well. Yes, and, and this was a, I, I like to think of it as a true meeting of the minds, because like you said, you have so many people from so many mm-hmm. aspects of the meteorological Meteorological, ooh, that's a, it's a hard word to get out, uh, community. What, was, what did you get to present on exactly in front of this group of peers that you So had? one of the things in, in WQAD News 8, we, use, um, we utilize information from Climate Central, who um, they're a nonprofit organization that help gather the climate change information and then help meteorologists present that information. Because a lot of it, honestly, can be over our heads. It can be complicated. We're looking for those local impacts. And Climate Central has done a really great job at bringing that to the forefront and helping us out. So uh, Sean Sublette, one of the meteorologists at Climate Central, uh, spoke about a new tool that we're able to use that quantifies how much solar and wind energy um, can power the lights in our homes. So as the as we get a windier day, now there's an algorithm that can say, hey, when we have steady 10, 20 mile an hour winds all day long, we can get more than 100% of our power from green energy. So he talked about that in the and then I kind of took a different approach right after him. Um, there were a couple hundred meteorologists around, and, and so I questioned. I said, how many of you in your different television markets are talking about climate change? And, and 
unbelievably to me, and still, and, and I'll probably remember this for many, many years, is of the hundreds of people in there, there were 10 people that rose their hand. And I thought wow. that was shocking. That's shocking that there are that many meteorologists, that many television stations who still see it, A, as divisive, um, B, they still think that there's some sort of debate that goes along with it, and C, they don't feel like it's their business. It is our business as meteorologists to talk about the study of weather and climate. We need to be the authority on these things. And the fact that so many people are not, um, you know, that's, that's a problem. And I think people who are listening to us right now, if their weather people on their local channel are not talking about climate change, you need to find somebody who does or reach out to them and say, why aren't you doing this? And, and put those meteorologists on the spot because, you know, we need to make sure that we're doing the right thing at the right time because an uninformed um, audience um, is not going to push us forward. Now, you yourself, personally, you deal with a lot of flack from people that may not agree with your opinion mm. or your analysis yeah. on what's happening. And I know that's probably a big reason why a lot of folks in our own community don't want to touch this subject or they're afraid mm -hmm. to do so. But I think you handle it quite well. When that happens, what's, what, what is your kind of outlook when something like that happens, when somebody has that differing opinion and they kind of go after you for speaking, you know, what sure. you know scientifically? Sure. And, and, and this is not something new for me. You know, um, I started talking about this about 15 years ago. And uh, the first time I talked, uh, used, uttered the words climate change or global warming on the air, uh, general manager's email got full and I got pulled into the office and he said, what are you doing? You're fracturing our audience. Mm -hmm. um, and so I said, no, I'm not. I'm broadcasting science. And if there's any question, if any viewer actually has a question or, or questions the validity of what I'm talking about, then I'd be happy to go over the data. Um, and so that's never stopped me. It's never stopped a general manager from saying anything differently. Um, and now when we talk about climate change on the air, which we do regularly mm -hmm. uh, on my shift, um, we don't get any feedback negative at all. And you have to also understand that um, polling suggests that now we're up to about 80%. So, so the people who um, do not, A, understand or choose not to believe in the science, um, that's down to like 20% now. So that's quite a minor minority. Um, so that has no effect on how we broadcast this. Um, and, you know, moving forward, this is the first time in my lifetime, in anybody's lifetime, that we actually have this, um, uh, this conversation on the political stage for the first time. And, and you're going to hear more about this in the next year. I'm sure, yeah, as, as you said, it's going to be a big topic, um, especially now that we can break a lot of this down and make it more easily understandable mm -hmm. by the general public. It used to be you'd have to have some kind of science background to kind of maybe wrap your head around what was actually going on. But now we have so much data and so many different mm -hmm. ways of analyzing this and displaying this. I think it couldn't be simpler. Yeah, and, and not to go down a rabbit hole here, but... Let's go down a rabbit hole. Um, and, and I'm not afraid to say this. You know, having Al Gore be the spokesperson for climate change when we started identifying that we have a problem, that is not the greatest idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and he, he may have had great intentions, and, and a lot of what has put in his movies, you know, has turned out to be true, you know, the vast majority of it. We really do need a national person um, that has a climate or meteorological background to become that spokesperson. Uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, probably not it. Yeah. yeah. Um, everybody knows who he is. You know, we love him because you know, we grew up with him. Right. But he's still not a meteorologist or climate scientist. Where are these people? 
you know, and, and so looking forward, um, I hope that we can get more of that. Sorry if I went down a rabbit No, no, it's, 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 a, it's a conversation. <laughs> Nothing wrong with so, that at yeah. all. Um, and, and I've always wanted to get your opinion on this, too. <clears throat> Do you think it helps with it being so politicized? Do you think it hurts the cause or it helps the cause when people kind of a, with a political background take charge of it and, uh, and grasp it? Uh, the and fact that it's connected to politics, I think, is bad, right? Yeah. Because you and I are scientists. We see the science. We see the data. Right. Um, uh, I, I, I've talked with Nobel Peace Prize winning climate scientists about this, and, um, and there's no doubt. There's no doubt that what we're doing is screwing up the environment. I mean, it's, it's easy to see. We have local impacts. We're getting more flooding than we ever have. Um, when we see tornadoes touch down, um, generally they're stronger um, than they used to be. And, the, and hurricanes are intensifying. You know, there's, there's all these things that, that are happening. And um, the fact that it's connected to politics, I like to separate it and say to people, what you do with this data is up to you. If you feel compelled to talk to your local representative about it, great. If you don't want to talk to your local representative about it, great. If you want to vote however you want, great. But just make sure that you're not ignorant about the fact that it exists and that right. we're causing it. Right. And especially, like you said, we feel so much of the effects here. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the record flooding with the Mississippi River yeah. this year. I mean, that should be a huge eye-opener. And people push back when they hear the, the past winter when we were 33 below zero. Right. When I give talks and I say 33 below zero is caused by global warming. And people are like, what? You're, you're nuts. And, th and that was because of an, a dramatic shift in the jet stream, and we're still trying to figure out why this occurred. Why was Alaska in the 50s this winter? And it dislodged that polar air to the center part of our continent. Why? We don't know. But we do know there was so much warm air in Alaska that it tipped the scale and it caused us to be cold here. So when you look at the cause and the effect, the effect was we were 33 below zero here. The cause was the warm air pushed into Alaska. So we've got to figure that out. Which is insane. And we're, we're, I don't think any of us are going to forget that mm -hmm. day yeah. at all. And, it, and, and that's what a lot of this has to do. You know, it's not global warming. It's, it's climate change. It's that extreme weather that we're seeing from drought to flood, back and forth. Um, that's going to happen more frequently. So it's just kind of what are we going to do about it? Right. Exactly. A lot, a lot to think about. A mm -hmm. lot to discuss. In fact, we could do a whole podcast on climate change, and we probably will. Somebody needs to let us know if they want to hear that, <laughs> um, or you know, or a point counterpoint. You know, that that's great too. You know, I'd be happy to take people's questions and yeah. then do. Um, we do some research and, and find some things about climate change that um, maybe will challenge even my mind as, a, as yeah. somebody who's learning. And we're constantly learning about mm -hmm. that. It never stops at anything weather we're constantly learning about. Um, kind of to shift back to, you, to yeah. the conference that you got to go to, really awesome. I get that you were able to speak mm -hmm. at that and kind of um, explain and present about how you talk about these important topics and, and do that. Yeah. Really surprising, again, that a lot of folks don't do that. Um, I know myself personally, that's something I'm trying to grow on and, and learn more about to be able to present it effectively and mm -hmm. and uh, with some confidence. And, and, and to you, it's, it's one of those things where it is up to you as a meteorologist to learn more. If you're not comfortable talking about something, you, you learn more. Right. Uh, but it's our obligation right. to learn more. And if somebody's been on the year 20, 25 years, and they've never talked about climate change, that's a problem. Yeah. That is a huge problem. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was able to learn from a lot of different meteorologists and bring back some uh, some new information about you know how we do things in the weather world is different than 
how we should be doing it. Um, we, in television, rely on a lot of the stuff that we used to do in the 1980s, mm-hmm. and we need to, we need to change. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that we really haven't changed in decades in mm-hmm. terms of how we present the weather. Um, and there's a lot of consultants, of course, in this industry that will tell you, and then those of us that are already in the, in the industry, we realize it yeah. too, but uh, society is changing, how people perceive things is changing, and mm-hmm. I know you talked a lot about that too at this particular conference. You had a lot of other colleagues kind of explain some of the verbiage that they use mm-hmm. that they found to be most effective and things like that. Yeah, uh, one of the things, Josh Johnson, was uh, he, he is the chief meteorologist at WSFA-TV in Montgomery, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a, a deadly tornado that passed through, um, I think it was in March of this year, um, in a relatively rural area. And going back, he was talking about some of the, he didn't say mistakes, but he goes, some of the things that I wish I would have done a little bit differently. Um, and one thing that they he and his team did very well was separate that tornado warning from the tornado that was going to do terrible, ter- terrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he on the air said, stop doing what you're doing and listen to me. This is a bad tornado. It's on the ground and it's doing destruction. It, and it's, and it's, he's not scaring people, but he's being honest. And he says, you need to separate these from the average ordinary tornado warnings that people don't respond to. Um, and then he goes, looking back on that, you have to go back to the communities that were affected. Um, and I think we as meteorologists, as soon as severe weather's done, we think that it's, it's the news department's role to report on it. Right. And we need to do more about understanding how the weather's impacting our audience. Yeah, and I think it, it really helps on a personal note, too. I can't help but think if, if one of us were to do that after such an event, that kind of gets ingrained in your mind. And then for the next severe mm-hmm. weather event, when you know something similar like that could potentially be going on, I think it gives you more power sure. personally to kind of make yourself mm-hmm. more authoritative and, and really convey what the danger is to your viewing mm-hmm. audience. Uh, Brian Busby from KMBC in um, Kansas City was talking about Leavenworth, Kansas tornado that happened here this year. Um, and when he was speaking, he was talking about the fact that um, he said, uh, tornadoes are like trains, okay? When you're sitting at that railroad crossing and you, you look at the train, the boxcar that's coming, okay? It's coming down the tracks, it's right at the railroad crossing, and then it's gone. And he said, people have to understand that's how a tornado is. They think a tornado warning is is a half hour and he goes really the tornado is lasting at one particular location for seconds Mm -hmm. it doesn't last very long um and so he said you know if you can let your audience know that hey you know what pay attention and i'm going to need you to do something but only for about 20 seconds your life is in jeopardy but only for 20 seconds as this tornado is coming and and put it succinctly like that that he's found that more people will pay attention to that message that we're giving. Another thing they did in his market, and I hope that we can be the advocate to do that here, is in the Kansas City television market, all of the different television stations have the same color codes. So a severe thunderstorm watch is orange and a warning is yellow and tornado watches are red and and tornado warnings are some other color, right? Um, But all of the five TV stations that are in that market do the same thing. And that means that when our message needs to get out to the people, they're going to understand it. Yes, they're very important too. And like mm-hmm. you said, a lot of people aren't going to go likely to 
the National Weather Service website Correct. and look at their color scheme and and relate that. Mm-hmm. And I think you had the right idea too. Of we know that when it comes to a national level, um, for example, when people look at severe weather or even hurricanes and stuff like that, they're going to go to one source usually, and that's typically mm-hmm. the Weather Channel. Yep. Um, so kind of a and our role of adopting kind of their same color scheme with some of our graphics. Correct. I think is a huge help. Yeah, and and we utilize um, an app called Radar Scope. You mm-hmm. know, uh, the Weather Channel, right? They, we all have the same colors. Like, why aren't we displaying those on the same so that our our audience can comprehend it? Because you know, and that's another thing that we talk about. Like um, Alan Seals, who is a meteorologist in Mobile, Alabama, pointed out, he said that a lot of our weather graphics, um, people, he, he polled people, when does the low temperature occur in the day? And most of the people could figure out it was in the morning. But then when you look at what we show on our apps and on our graphics, the low temperature isn't really easy to understand. Um, and he goes, how do we expect people to understand this seven-day outlook, or in our case, eight, um, if we're showing all these numbers and icons and percent chances of rain, and then there's text to say what the icon is, so if it's partly cloudy, we have to have the word partly cloudy on there. Uh, how do we expect people to understand it? And I think that's interesting. I've never thought about that. Yeah, that me they, neither. That the extended forecast that we show in the air, it may look different than it did a couple years ago. You know, we go through different graphics packages, but it's generally the same thing that we showed in the 1980s. There's better ways for us to tell people when the impactful weather is going to happen, and we've got to get better at conveying that to the audience. Absolutely, and, and I never thought of that either, and then you brought it up, and I mm-hmm. look at the, the different graphics, not only ours, but others in the market and around the country, and it's like, oh, that's really yeah. something I never thought about before, but it makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there's another thing that happened while you were down there, um, very controversial, actually, mm-hmm. When it came to the National Weather Service and NOAA, yeah. the leadership there. Uh, of course, we had Dorian um, that was tracking in parts of the Atlantic, was possibly heading for Florida at the time. Um, the National Weather Service Birmingham office uh, putting the tweet out, not agreeing necessarily with what uh, the President of the United States was saying in terms of the sure. track. And then you had that whole mess where NOAA essentially kind of threw the National Weather Service office under the bus. And you actually had the NOAA yeah. uh, person there at your conference. Yeah, the director of the NOAA. Of and, and I think of this as um, kind of a hierarchy, right? So um, the way that I term this is, you know, and, and, and pardon me for being so simplistic, but we had the superintendent of the school telling the principal to tell the teacher which student should be suspended. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what happened in the political world and, and, and how weather became politics. Um, and so the director of the National Weather Service spoke, Louis Uccellini, and he said that, you know, I support all of the people that are working to, um, to protect life and property at the mm-hmm. National Weather Service. And then the director of NOAA, you could tell that he was being pressured um, by somebody at a very high office, which we don't know, but we could presume. Right. Um, and he didn't say as much. And, and so that was kind of interesting. Dr. Louis Uccellini got a standing ovation at the National Weather Association conference, um, but the director of NOAA did not. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really telling. Um, 
that uh, and and he's actually got an operational meteorological background, which is kind of interesting too. Um, but that's where politics comes in. I think politics. I think we all agree that politics should stay out of weather. Yeah, it just Completely. doesn't help in those kind of situations no. at all. No, not at all. And there may have been a, a narrow window of twelve hours that there could have been a solution that Alabama was impacted, but that quickly changed, and then somehow it came back into the national spotlight, and it shouldn't have. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was it. Was an interesting coincidence, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, especially that this conference was going on, um, kind of in the same time frame. And the fact in, that in Alabama, yeah, we were in Alabama, of all, all places, in Huntsville, which is a beautiful place. Yeah, so. just incredible, mm-hmm. incredible timing on that. But certainly interesting to witness, I'm sure. <laughs> um, anything else that you had at, the, at this at this conference that was kind of you want to talk about weather alert day eye opening? Yes, can we can we please talk <laughs> about those um, code reds? Some might be familiar. Some markets do it. Our market is guilty of doing it. Uh, certainly, is it effective? Not effective? Does it make you think differently about your day depending on what the alerts for? What did you find out? One thing that I found out is is uh, there's two or three sides of the story, right? So um, Brad Travis uh, from WAFF-TV in Huntsville um, spoke about how they are first alert. So they're like, you know, we're going we're gonna to give you that first alert for Wednesday for the possibility we could have some large hail. And then it goes to code red when it's going to be really bad. Uh, my good buddy Ryan Vaughn of KAIT in Jonesboro, Arkansas, they do a different thing on their extended forecast. They do green, yellow, and red days. And it's like kind of like the whole stoplight thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the way that I think about it is, personally, you know, when we go back to what Brian Busby was saying, when a tornado is really only going to happen for seconds, right? Um, when we know tornado watches don't last a whole day, do we really need people to be alerted for a weather alert day? No, it's not the whole day. I actually see a little bit more of it when we have a winter storm. Then I could see a weather alert day, right? But it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for fog. No one's being killed by fog. Um, And I think too many TV stations overuse it. They overbrand themselves Mm -hmm. to the point where it is no longer effective. And then you run the risk that if you have a tornado warning and you're alerting people, that they're not going to get the alert because it happens all the time. And so um, the way that I think about it, and I think the way that we do it as a weather team at WQAD, is we forecast the hell out of it. When something bad's going to happen, we're going to leave the newscast, we're going to be at the top of our website, and everybody's going to know it, and we're going to get the word out. We're going to forecast the hell out of it when it needs to be. Right. Without branding. (laughs) <laughs> saying it's an alert yeah, day. Or... Um, and, and there's ways of doing that. I mean, casually, um, I don't think people in the in the grocery store are going to say, oh, it's a first alert day. Did you hear? No, they're right. going to be like, no, did you hear that there's going to be bad storms today? Right. You know, why can't we just say there's going to be bad storms today? Yeah. Keep it simplistic, mm-hmm. like you said. And, and make that. sure that the messaging is, is reaching the right people. Um, you know, James Spann, he was one of the um, speakers, and he's got like a million followers or something like that oh, on it's social huge. media. Huge. Um, and he goes, make sure you utilize every piece of equipment that we have. And he goes, I'm not on Snapchat. I don't know anything about Snapchat. But he goes, I got on Snapchat. I do Instagram stories. Because, you know what? A 16-year-old, they ain't going to be watching our newscast. But they're the ones that may or maybe can spread the information to that person who's in the path of that tornado. Yes. 
You know, we don't think about that. You know, that's different than the people that we think of who are watching the news, right? Um, and so we as weather people have the opportunity to, to bridge that together, that, um, that the news department may not. Also, another thing is um, we have to make sure that when we're doing um, severe weather that we're on all platforms. Um, and I think that our station does a good job at that, but there's always ways for improvement. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable, uh, especially any time that I'm doing a Facebook Live with severe weather. There are so many people in the comments section that say, my satellite just went out. My power mm-hmm. just went out. Thank goodness I have my cell phone, and thank goodness you're here on a social platform to tell me mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah, and we got to be able to show people more what yes. the weather's like. Um, and there's new technology. I don't want to give much away, but, right. um, but we are um, on a fast track for new technology that will allow our viewers and our audience to be able to see what's going to happen better. Um, and I think we need to be able to be out front on that. So when there's a tornado warning, we can't just show the green and the red on the radar right. because that doesn't mean anything. Um, we need to show people what's going on. Um, and one thing we need to be able to do, and I thought this was great, and I, and I, I apologize to the meteorologist because uh, his name is skipping my mind right now. Um, station as a WTVM maybe anyway and uh, it's in Columbus Georgia meteorologist said you know what he did after that tornado that came through earlier this year is he went into these homes with the permission of the owner to be able to show where people would have survived and where people would have died and I think that's really something I never thought about that in the 20 years I've been doing this why are we the we as meteorologists need to go into these homes yes. with a camera and show our viewers because I think that's impactful, and they're going to remember that. So, you know, and that's one thing, you know, if if Channel 6 or Channel 4, they want to steal that idea, go ahead, because that's a good <laughs> idea. And you know what? And, and that's one of the things. We're competitors. Uh, um, but uh, when it comes to severe weather information getting to the eyes and ears, I don't care. Right. I, I don't care. You know what? Um, we hope that we're going to be the leader, and we are. I absolutely the leader when severe weather breaks out more people tune to us um but as long as we're getting that right and the message is getting across i think that's something collectively we can do more of exactly we're all in the business of saving lives in in Mm -hmm. this in that type of situation and is whatever it takes to get the word out there to Mm -hmm. make sure that people are taking action when it counts james span in alabama said that he is still after 2011 the tornado outbreak he is still memorizing the names of all of the people that died. Wow. And I thought that was really something. Mm-hmm. You know, he's remem- he wants to personally remember and take that to the grave, that he knows all of the names of the people who died in that tornado because that's how serious it is for him. Wow. And, and it's no wonder he's such a respected figure. I mean, yeah. not only in his oh, market, yeah. but around the country. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and that's one of the things is going forward. Um, there's new ways that we are going to find that gets to get our message across. Um, and, and it's not gr- a grilling forecast. It's not putting um, dog walking forecast or, you know, I've seen, uh, here's your hot tub forecast. That's not, that's not how we do it. The message, we have to find out what's important and then forecast the hell out of it. And I hope that we're going to be best at that going forward. And I think our viewers know that. Oh, yeah. I think we're well on track for, mm-hmm. for that kind of a layout. Yeah. Absolutely. What would you say was your biggest takeaway from this whole event that you got to attend? Um, I think for me, it, it may be the disconnect that we have um, being broadcasters. And, and that's a struggle that I've had because my first job out of college um, was 
at a TV station where we just did TV, right? I, we didn't have a website. We didn't have social media yet. Um, I didn't even have a cell phone. Um, and so I still think of this as a TV station, and we need to stop doing that. We're an information um, collector. We're an, uh, an information um, projector for, so that we can make sure that our audience knows what's going on. And so um, there's other ways we do this other than TV. Do we, do we try too much for TV? I mean, that's our revenue source. That's where we make the money. Right, right. Um, to keep the lights on, to keep our salary coming in. But um, when it comes to the information, we need to make sure that we're everywhere. And maybe start driving people back to television. Um, because moving forward, I mean, that's, that's where our bread and butter is. Absolutely. Yeah, so, and I think I, I think I'm one of those curmudgeons um, that, that doesn't do as much, you know. Um, so I need to change that. You'll get there. Yeah, you'll get there. We need to do more outreach. We need to get. I mean, James Zahara, our chief meteorologist, is great at going into schools. I mean, he does a great job, and you see those on the calendar all the time. And he does that on his own time. Yeah. Um, and we need to make sure that we're doing more of that stuff, so we're not just sitting around waiting for a news guest to happen. Yes, and, and you you had a big part in some of that when you were in Rockford. Mm-hmm. I mean, you created a very successful yeah. program. It was Project Tornado, and uh, and I brought that idea from Tyler, Texas, when I when I worked there. Um, and we kind of put it on steroids in Rockford, where we went to a school every day in the month of May, um, and we reached uh, anywhere between five and 7,000 students every year. Um, and so we lumped it all into one, in one month, and I hope that other... Um, other stations would would come up with this idea and I'd help anybody um, create a book um, a little booklet and we had sponsorships for it too so the television station did make some money now once we drove all over creation and gassed up these vehicles I mean, <laughs> yeah. we, we didn't make any money but um, but uh, it was really something and I, and I just think that a child who's in school can say oh you know the meteorologist from channel x came to to my school today and look what i got and they got this book then that book gets opened up by the parents or the grandparents and then they get to learn something too yes and so it's there's a far greater outreach to that um and i hope that's something that other places do and we may have something coming down the line as we head into um the next year um that will be something great and um, it's an idea that I don't think anybody else has done. So, <laughs> so stay tuned on that. It is exciting, yes. Yeah. And, and now that we have even more resources with our, with our fourth meteorologist, Morgan Strackbine, I think mm-hmm. we're even more well-equipped to pull something like that off. Yeah, we know, we know that, um, that <clears throat> the franchise of weather is important to everybody. Um, we know what the important news stories are, of course. Um, but, um, you know, the property taxes in Illinois, well, guess what? Half of our audience who's in Iowa, they don't care, right? Right. Um, you know, what happens to higher education in Iowa? Well, guess what? Half the people, they don't care because they're in Illinois. Um, so we report on a lot of things that are fragmented with our audience, but weather is one of those things that 100% of our audience deals with every day, unless you're going to live under a rock. If you're living under a rock, you don't need to care. No, then there's no reason. <laughs> no reason at all. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Well, this has been a great conversation. This podcast thing could probably catch on. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's listening. Caller, you're on the line. (laughs) Caller, go ahead. What do they want if they're caller number eight? We we got to come up with a prize or something for for people calling. (laughs) I can't believe people will actually listen to me babble on about crap. (laughs) Uh, We'll we'll have more to babble on. I'm sure. We have a lot, a lot more topics that we can certainly discuss coming up. So we'll have to do that. Or the fact that hey, we're in this podcast studio and nobody knows that I'm not wearing any pants. (laughs) 
<laughs> Although we're, we've got lots of windows around this room. I'm getting we some do. weird looks, but yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of oh, people well. walking by, they're stopping. I thought it was maybe just me. They were maybe I had something on the back of my shirt or something. But <laughs> the kick me sign. Now we know the answer. Oh my goodness, I would never do that. <laughs> no, I, I trust you wouldn't. Anyway. <laughs> oh, you're great, Andy. Uh, well, thank you so much uh, again. The first time you've got to join me, and I'm sure we'll have many more of these in the future. Yeah, you know, this is great, and yeah. it's one of those things that we appreciate that people are taking the time to to learn more about. Um, the weather, and that we are too. It's not something that we just learned in college and right. then we're on TV talking about. You know, we're in a constant state of learning too. So um, so having people along for the ride and knowing that you're going to get more in the future, um, that's what you're going to get from us. So. Yes, and it's such an exciting field to work in. Mm -hmm. It's always changing. It's never the same every day, Yep, which is awesome. Good, because I don't want to be wrong with the forecast today <laughs> like I was yesterday. Like yesterday <laughs> and like I was on Sunday. So we both messed up in the same week. <laughs> you get paid to be wrong every day. That's right. Oh, that's my right. goodness. <laughs> you know what? I don't know if I've ever told you this, Andrew. When people say that to me or people challenge me about not being able to get Yeah, yeah. And I, and I apologize because we were wrapping up a minute ago, but I'm going down another rabbit hole. This is a bonus. Um, the, the atmosphere is like standing at the bottom of the ocean, and the ocean is 35,000 feet deep. If, yes. if it was even possible to stand at the bottom of the ocean, which is not, um, to be able to look up at all of the water molecules that are moving above us for 35,000 feet. That's what it's like standing on the ground and looking up in the atmosphere, mm -hmm. which behaves like a liquid. Okay, now we can observe what's going on above us, but when you think about it, forecasting the weather on Earth would be like standing at the bottom of the ocean and forecasting where's the water going to be in eight days. Right. Exactly. I mean, doesn't that just blow your mind? <laughs> I mean, that's the type of, of science that we're working yeah. on. And the fact that we can actually even be close to being right eight days out yeah. is success in my brain, knowing what we do. It is so. incredible. And we're getting better all the time. And Technology. we have a three-degree guarantee. We Only do. on WQ80 News 8 to 10. That's right, yes. And we're doing well this month, by the way, too. We're well on our way to more than $300. Because I have not so. had a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should ask Erickson, you know, double no. or nothing. Let's do the no. morning and the evening. James has worked here very <laughs> much longer than I have. It's all him. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And, and I'm sure we're going to have James on here to talk about that, too. Because every day we hear those, those phrases and those sounds coming from either him or myself. What? We missed it by a degree. Yesterday, oh, we yeah. missed it by a degree. Sunday, I missed it by a degree. And we, we're just swearing. No, we, we don't swear in the Weather Center. Mm -hmm. we're, just, we're just over there making all these grunt noises. And it's just like, really? Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. But it's fun. It's a challenge. I love it. I absolutely And love really, it. we're off by a degree. I know. Still pretty good. It is still pretty good. Yeah, it's still pretty darn good. All right, sir. All right, we got to go back to work. Our senior meteorologist, Eric Sorensen. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Thank you.